0: Non ci deve essere più niente. Bisogna allacciare subito. Coraggio al lavoro. Scusate tutti. Vi bene autore Sì, grazie. Arrivederci ragazzi.
1: Ci vediamo in un prossimo. Lo speriamo.
0: Welcome to Cinema Italia, a podcast dedicated to the world of Italian cinema, presented by me, John Bleesdale. Everybody to Cinema Italia. I'm here with uh, Kalim Aftab, and we're going to be talking about the big daddy of Federico Fellini movies, uh, *La Dolce Vita*, and I think this is fair to say one of those the central most important films of uh, Italian cinema, certainly of post-war Italian cinema. Um, this is also one of your favourite films ever, Kalim, right? Ciao, John. Ciao, come ciao, bello, come
1: Don't worry, that's all the Italian I'm gonna do. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> I I, you've got a little. You, your Italian's serviceable. Serviceable.
1: If I'm in a cafe or uh, when I was a young man in a nightclub. Let's just
0: leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the, well, following on from the theme of the film, let's. Uh, exactly. We we might get there. We might get there anyway. Yeah, I did. Uh, on
1: my 2012 Sight and Sounds list, I put La Dolce Vita as one of the best films of all time. Um, in many ways, you know, you can't have a real best film. Depends on mood and day. But it's definitely, um, if I went to a desert island, La Dolce Vita would be coming with me. And what, what is it about the film that uh, tra- Wait, well, when When did you first see it, first of all? You know, I think it's very important, this film, when you first see it, because... Mm. It impacts you in different ways at different times of your life when you watch it. And I saw this film first when I was probably uh, a young man, teenager, around 16, 17. And I was first getting into cinema. So then I was trying to, you know, watch Jules Jim, La Dolce Vida, and like get into that European flavor and show how cool I was uh, to know all of these um, cinematic greats. And uh, I just remember, and this is going to be quite funny when you think of what the film is actually about, I just remember thinking, I just want to be Marcella Estrioni because he's the coolest guy in the world and he gets to hang out with all these hot chicks. That's what I thought.
0: Yeah, I've, I think I must have taken a similar journey to that because I re- <laughs> re-watched it for this podcast and, and I've re-watched it since as well. And every time I watch it, I think <laughs> it's sadder and sadder and it's a more desperate situation. But uh... It's like one of
1: the saddest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. When I first watched it, these were my takeaways. And it's, uh, my first takeaway was Jesus Christ over Rome. Oh, mm. my God, what an opening scene. Oh, my God, look at those women in bikini on the rooftops looking up. This is just fantastic. Oh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Apocalypse Now. These are the crazy thoughts that were going through my mind. And I was also like, oh, I get it. Religion, because, you know, I had my own troubles with religion, being like a young Muslim growing up in London and all of those conflicts. So that struck me. And then it was just the girls. That was it. I was like if i grow up and i'm a film journalist or an entertainment journalist i can meet actresses too i can meet get into that life the boy from the council estate will do good (laughs) and so basically that was my philosophy throughout life and uh to pick up a theme of my italian at the beginning occasionally when i was a young man and i was in italy meeting um young ladies in clubs and they asked me my name i would say marcello as a joke
0: oh my to see god if they got it oh my <laughs> god that's we're, we're getting sadder and sadder as the conversation progresses <laughs> this this is true story so
1: and it's hilarious because if i watch the film now it's anything but luxury in fact it's telling you that that life is pointless and Actually, if you pursue it, probably you're going to end your life in sadness. Funnily, Mm. I pursued that life. I think I did quite a good uh, job of doing it. And I could have been very close to ending it in sadness. I see how close I could have gone, while at the same time thinking I was the center of the world.
0: There, there There but for the grace of our various significant others could go I. exactly. Exactly. But now when I watch the
1: film, and I've watched it many, many times, and it's a shame I didn't have a chance to re-watch it before this in the last few weeks, but I did watch it last year again. Um, whenever it's on at the cinema, I will go. I mm, mm. just love seeing this film at the cinema. And now I just realise it's the story of someone very tormented who feels like life is better on the other side always, who's living in the shadow of his father we'll get on to more of that later Mm. and he never feels that he's adequate Mm. he wants to write a novel he can't do that he wants so he's always constantly taking the easiest solution but it's not the solution of his dreams it's the solution that
0: gets him through the day Mm. and it's, it and so we we have Marcello Mastroianni uh, in his first role with uh, Federico Fellini and there's a you know famous story he's told i think it was on an american chat show of um not getting a script, but getting a caricature from Fellini. Uh, and, and that was the only script he got. And he was like, a quite rude one. And him saying, okay, I'm in. And he's playing this journalist, as you say, a sort of entertainment journalist uh, with paparazzo, where we get paparazzi from. Uh, and they're living the, the sort of um, an exciting, fun life, a little bit like a Roman holiday that we've seen with Gregory Peck, and Audrey Hepburn is sort of buzzing around the streets of Rome on vespers and whatnot, and uh, always in the heat of the action, so to speak. Uh, but as you say, right from the very get-go, well, one of the first things I'd, I'd like to add is that this opening image of, of the statue of Christ over, over Rome, and you've immediately got this sort of dichotomy of modernity, post-war, the miracle miracolo of, of the Italian economic boom and the old the vatican history religion guilt catholicism all all in one shot really i mean what is
1: so beautiful about this opening shot is a it looks great first off Mm. so it's a beautiful shot in and of itself but the second thing is it's a perfect uh metaphor for italy at this time it's post-war italy coming to terms with the fact that it was fascist italy also coming to terms with trying to develop into the capitalist world, relying on the American money that came through the Marshall Plan, using that Made in Italy slogan that Benito Mussolini came up with to then make Made in Italy the actual iconic statement of the time, succeeding in that through great fashion, great location, these extraordinary movies that change film, uh, the neorealist movement, um, you know, Rome Year Zero and the films of Visconti, just like giving you this picture of, hey, uh, the bicycle fever is in that, of, hey, this is in Italy, this is the story so far. We've reached this point. This point has led us to a crumbling Rome. Again, this is the empire that keeps on building up, keeps on falling down. We have fallen, and now we're going to build it up. And for the first time, they don't build it up on power. They build it up on wealth, money, and fashion in many ways. This is all about, we are going to brand Italy as the coolest place in the world. And to do that, you have to give something up. And what they're giving up is the Catholic Church all of those traditions are going out of the window as all of a sudden it's the pursuit of icons becoming famous makes you money being a man at home with the wife is no longer fashionable it doesn't make anyone money and it's gone out the window so here we have it in one scene and then we have almost three more hours of excellence
0: after. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off with a huge bang of absolute brilliance and it just gets better. It <laughs> just there.
1: gets better and better. better and better. Oh my God. I cannot even like what well, I am going to try and describe. but yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> is, So that is just like, for me, best opening scene in history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? I- yeah, absolutely, and 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 that whole idea as well of uh, you're ch- you're changing one icon. I mean, you use that phrase icon, and, and this is kind of the the one of the contradictions of the film is is your it's so good at branding those icons itself that I mean, even the title La Dolce Vita becomes just a, a uh, this becomes an adverb for the La Dolce Vita, even as it condemns the whole idea. Of course,
1: it's that brilliant thing, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to date this a little bit, this thing by saying Barbie kind of does that at the same thing of today, is it lambasts this iconic figure while making it an icon. Here we have the original, I mean, there are other films that try to do this, but for me, the best example, the exemplar of this, of what does it mean to be an icon? And if the icon is no longer Jesus, we as human need other icons. And what we search for through the eyes of Mastriani is beautiful women, beautiful cars, uh, lovely parties, and to be surrounded in great fashion. I mean, those sunglasses, dying to have those sunglasses. I wish I looked as good in sunglasses as Marcello Mastriani. I try, but it just doesn't work. (laughs) Like every single image looks beautiful, but at the same time, Look closely, and it's all broken. Behind him is the old Italy, the post-war Italy. It's still chaos. Everyone's running around. Everyone's searching for the next. And it's just chaos. Mm, mm. And all you're trying to find within this chaos is these little moments of excellence that you need a cameraman to pick up and immortalise. And it's that immortalization that is important. Because... Without that, it means nothing.
0: Yeah, and the, that chaos begins in Marcello's own own life. We'll just use Marcello interchangeably because it's the character's name as well as Marcello Mastroianni's name. Um, so the chaos begins in his own life. He's got a he's got a girlfriend, which in Italian fidanzata means fiance as well. So the, the, that's the, how traditional Italy is. Right in the language, you can't have a girlfriend without it sounding like you're expected to marry her. Uh, she he, she's sort of staying at home and thinking of the future, and he while he's out doing his job, but also Mixing with other women, and obviously not not necessarily keeping to uh, monogamy uh, in any way that that could be termed serious, and she overdoses. So already, uh, she tries to commit suicide. So already, you have this idea of guilt and trying to do things a new way in an old way. Also, to add to that, Marcello is it has um a friend steiner who's like an intellectual and who's asking where's the novel you've been writing and and uh marcello hasn't got hasn't got round to it and has abandoned it and so you get the feeling that his own the whole the idea of art is giving way to media and sort of content creation if we want to use a uh a modern term
1: i mean isn't it amazing these <clears throat> great movies of like the early 60s or the late 50s like this and two, how 2001 how the story seems to be about today this is what mm. makes it and all of those things you describe you know what they're just like saying this is the saddest life but what does Marcello see in all this he doesn't see anything he has no emotion he is completely there this woman commits suicide he's like oh Again, this is like, uh, this is becoming. an bit... attempt
0: to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: sorry, yeah. This is a bit bothersome, like uh, her moods. Oh, this is just driving me into the arms of other women rather than mm. away from other women. Uh, this guy, yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to do that novel. The novel's my dream. But, dude, I need to live day to day all of these things made me love Marcello when I was watching it. Like Mm. now I think it's sad, but then I was like, yeah, these are like dilemmas and he does not, well, at first we don't know why he doesn't have the means to just relax and write a novel. We'll find that out later when his dad arrives, but we're just seeing this guy who is just like, okay, my life is very stressful. I've got to run around chasing work left right and center i have got this guy steiner trying to bother me for about my novel and i've got his girlfriend who you know i'm kind of expected to stay with because i've told people she's my girlfriend but if he could dump her he probably would and she knows it she's trying; she, she doesn't try and attempt to commit suicide for his attention And this is something I learned later on. The first time I thought that Mm. I realized it's to force him to break up with her. Mm. Mm. It's like, is this appeal? Like, this is what you're doing to me. Mm. You are driving me to death with your complete behavior. And you have not taken two minutes to look at yourself. You're looking so much at the outside. You've forgotten that there's a soul inside, or maybe there's not.
0: Who knows? And I mean, one of the uh, the episodes, which I think is just so wonderfully shot, is the is the miracle that uh, as a, a journalist he goes to attend. Sorry, you wanted to say something else.
1: I wanted to say when you said episode, I think we should really say at the top, like right. Dolce Vita is an amazing film because there is no storyline in the traditional sense. There is no like A gets to B gets to C. It's a series of episodes. It's a series of us looking, getting a window into his life as he goes from place to place, each bringing out a different aspect of his personality until we get to the end and we're told or we feel what is the true nature of this guy, which isn't great. Um, And so the structure for a lot of people is boring. Mm. because we're so used to watching movies where, especially at that time when you have the classics of cinema, one of the films I think La Dolce Vita always reminds me of is Sweet Smell of Success, the great Alexandra McKendrick, uh, Mm. because it's a which I think is also in a similar world, but that follows the very schematic like plot structure. This is just, I'm going to show you episodes and you have to come and take it away. So it's not like we're talking about this film where we go and this happens and that happens. We do say that, but it's not following on from one another. It's almost like he's being led by his assignments and that is taking him to different places. When he has a break, we finally see what he really wants to do and we'll get onto that, which is be in love with this woman who does not care about him, who sees through him who's like dude this is who you are no woman in her right mind would be with you
0: yeah yeah you are you are in the words of uh of um brian cox in succession you know i love you but you're not serious people exactly <laughs> and, look, and that
1: is like heartbreak and then that's again where i misread it as a young man because i just felt like Oh, he gets to go over and like, meet up with this beautiful woman who gives him the time of day. It's so
0: stupid how you watch things as a teenager. I'm just going to say that. Oh, but... yeah, no, absolutely. I think <laughs> even today, we, we there's a whole thing. Uh, you know, you go into music shops and, and anywhere that has, like, movie paraphernalia and and posters. I'm not sure how many do anymore. But and you'll always find, like, mugs with Clockwork Orange uh, poster on or, or what, what have you. And it's just like, you do know that the, the guy's a rapist, right? You do, you do know that it's not just like a funky guy in a bowl hat. He's actually a rapist. But It looks good, that logo. Yeah, That's exactly. Logo. Brilliant. Exactly.
1: And this is, I mean, this film is all about, basically, when I was thinking about this film for the podcast, I was still
0: wondering if I was like somehow just the main guy still. Like Right, right, just hankering after it, even uh, with it.
1: Still like haven't quite managed. And this is what's universal about this. It's about humans never quite managing to ever feel fulfilled. No matter what happens, we never get a moment of fulfillment. Yeah, and that's I, incredibly sad.
0: I think it's also because Fellini doesn't just out and out condemn um uh, uh Marcello. He 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 uh he loves him, you know, he, he sympathizes with him and he he sees him as someone who is yearning, you know, it's it's like he would love to sit down, half of him would love to sit down and write a novel. Half of him would love to settle down and have a wife and a family and kids, but half of him wants the absolute opposite. And And it's really very 50-50. It's not, you know, oh, if it was oh, one or the
1: 50, other- 50, 50 50 as you just described it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's, it's, uh, he's, he's, he's absolutely torn and, and he wants to feel some sort of religious uh feeling you know he wants to feel there's something else but uh when he goes there he just sees sort of the rain and the crowds and the and the lunacy of it all well i don't think he sees
1: anything what i feel Mm. now is i feel he wants to be uh everything to everyone and he wants to make everyone happy and in this pursuit of trying to make everyone happy, which is why we do like him as a central character. Uh, In this pursuit of trying to make everyone happy, we realise that the person he's not making happy is himself. Mm, mm. And he's not honest with himself, and he's never honest with himself throughout the whole movie. Even the tragic scene where he meets his dad, and his dad is like a big shot, his dad still sleeps with other women, His dad is like the icon of mass, the epitome, sorry, of masculinity. He's still like, hey, son, you know, you're never going to be as good as me. And essentially he's saying, because you're not going to make as much money and you're not going to sleep with as many girls as I do. What does that say about masculinity? Mm. Let's be Mm. honest. When I was growing up, that's what I thought being a man was. Right, right. And like, Therefore, he destroys it in this film, but it's almost like a journey that many people have to go through. I'm not saying everyone, obviously, but there is an idea of masculinity and manhood that definitely existed in those days and still exists to a lot of extent today, uh, that power and girls is success.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, God, it's coming back with Andrew Tate. And in in a a way, sort of Andrew Tate is proof of the waning of it, because, you know, in the 80s, the 70s and 80s and 60s, you didn't need an Andrew Tate to say, this is what success means, because it was just prevalent in the culture. It was just everywhere. Um, So so paradoxically, that sort of ultra masculinity sort of hyper is actually proof of the fact that it's no longer so um, universal
1: it yeah, possibly but i would say go pull down those notches a few and it does still hold true mm. and in every movie we watch that gets celebrated and what's interesting to me is weirdly i watched joe house rock the other day um because i was bored in a plane and that is also about how being over masculine ruins your life and it's about how women forgive these men mm and mm. you see that in this film but what you do see is there's a slight change of attitude here that they're record and you see that a little bit in but then we watch the films of the 80s and this ultra masculinity is so back that we forgot we had all of this period of learning and all we got is this idea of this ideal man that is butch masculine and can overpower everyone and ends up with the chicks, with uh, all the glory. And that's manhood. And it got worse after this rather than better. And now, finally, maybe we're back in his spirit.
0: There's also a sense as well when he sees his father that, um, you know, his father is sort of like a criticism of this in the sense that when you're doing it, it's you sowing your wild oats and being a young guy and it's glamorous and everything. But then when you see an older guy doing it, it's a bit grubby and sleazy and you're obviously doing it with money rather than with, uh, with any sort of mutual attraction.
1: Sure, I think that's true. But what I also think is true is, like, Fellini, again, he condemns none of these characters. Mm, mm. Like, even this father figure is almost painted as, like, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it's expected to be. And no one's telling him, you look like a crazy old guy. You can bring that as a viewer. Right. And, again, that's the beauty of this film. You can bring everything as a viewer. So every time I watch it, as a different person, as I change. Uh, I watch this film and it completely changes movie in front of my eyes. I'm like, I've never seen this film before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this is all new to me. Um, because of this episodic structure, which is so radical, it leaves it open to interpretation. It's like an amazing book. Mm. It's like the closest and funny he wants to write a novel. For me, it's the closest I've ever got
0: watching a film to the experience I have reading a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey earlier as well, because I think that that they both work in that sense of they both are constructed of chapters which don't seem to be related until the end. And similarly, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a film that I watch. And every single time I think, I've never seen this film. Well, I I don't remember this. I don't remember. I mean, I do. Of course, it's, it's burned into my memory. I must have watched this film 30 or 40 times. But every single time I watch it, it's like, wow, this scene is amazing. I haven't seen this before. I know it's insane. Two thousand and
1: one is a film. Unlike Dolce Vita, which whatever version of kalim exists in the world, I love the film.
0: Mm. There
1: are sometimes I watch two thousand one. I think is the most boring film in the world. And then sometimes I watch it. And I think how is this possible that this guy came up with this movie and mm-hmm. made it look so good? And it's um, but it's fantastic. Mm. Um, mm. And this is what the best films do. And what we're talking about is, as you said at the top, this is. Probably the classic of classic Italian movies. Um, Definitely for me. Um, And I think what what we're seeing and as we're discussing, because of the way the film is, we're not discussing it as, oh, yeah, then this happens. And we're just going, oh, this and this, because (laughs) it works works like our memory. Like, we're like, what is it? that fell strongest to us at that moment or at our age in time, are we taking from it? If you'd spoke to me about this film 20 years ago, I would probably have spoken to you about, it's a film about this chase for celebrity, which I don't think it is anymore. Hmm. Uh, I would have been infatuated with the Anita Ekberg moments and the iconic status of that. Um, I would have... uh, Talk to you about this guy who just doesn't know which girl he wants to be with. Uh, and I would have had no fundamentally fundamental understanding of him being sad because mm. he's never sad in the movie until maybe the very last scene when the last couple of scenes, actually. But until those moments, he's just running around, even when he sees his dad, he kind of has a sadness about him. But he's still like out and about and going, I've just got to go off and do this job now.
0: Mm, I'll see you yeah. later.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll meet up. We'll meet up. Meet up. Exactly. And it's great. And all of these things, they're like embedded in my brain now. Like when I thought, oh, I was like thinking, do I need to rewatch a bit of it? And then I just like sat down and I was like, oh my God, all of these things. I just, I couldn't tell you what order each of the episodes happened, but mm. it doesn't matter. It could be random. Apart from the last two episodes. And uh this kind of sense, we haven't even talked about like the you mentioned like paparazzo and the criticism of media that is in this, what media are looking for. They're not looking for the news stories anymore. They're looking for the entertainment stories, they're looking for something that pushes Italy in the new direction of being. The Italy of fashion, the mm, made of Italy. Mm. This is the brand. I didn't see that before either, but now I see it. I'm like, they're just helping this new image of Italy exist, mm, mm. and no one cares about the old image. Mm, mm, it yeah. might as well fly away in a helicopter.
0: <laughs> and in, and in between going to jobs, they're, they're driving through a, a Rome which is still being rebuilt after the war. It still it's, has still poverty in it, and and all that all that sort of stuff.
1: I mean, there is the astonishing scenes uh, where you see him in an amazingly beautiful car, mm. and behind the car is destitution. Mm. Absolutely. And you realise that behind all of his glamour is still destitution. This is an Italy that's still broken, and there's no intention of fixing it because he gets... There, everything's broken behind him. He doesn't even bat his eyelid. Mm, mm. It's all about, oh, what's happened to her? What has happened? And it's not about what is happening everywhere.
0: Mm, he mm. just
1: doesn't care about that. And Italy mm. doesn't care.
0: He is Italy in this movie. Absolutely. And and, and like Italy, there's this uh weird, well, not weird, but this complete. Uh, longing for America and American iconography. And, and that's summed up by Anita Ekberg. And how I mean that's one of the things I always remember watching, re-watching this. It was like Marcello is treated so badly. I mean, he's punched in the face, and all the photographers just jump up and uh taking photographs of his humiliation. Um it, she, he's treated badly by her because she doesn't. She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't give a give a monkey. She doesn't care. They're mutually incomprehensible. She just wants to be adored. And 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 he's just, you know, and he's just like she's a goddess to him. Uh and the irony is she she isn't actually American at all. You know, she's another European actress. This
1: is all, and this is so true. And we will be able to say, because we've both been like film journalists at glamorous events. Isn't this how we've all felt at some time, like <laughs> <to> being honest? <laughs> like we've been there with someone who has been like glorified by the magic of cinema. We've been there and we're in the same room, and we might as well not really exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: If we saw them again 20 minutes later, they wouldn't recognize us. Yeah. Because it's uh it's not about us in that moment. It's about them. And this vessel of media. Is It's not about that individual guy. It's about servicing the bigger picture, which is servicing money. Mm-hmm. It's all about getting the right picture so that the right image can be sold, so that money can be made. And the kind of Anita Ekberg is like the star who makes everybody money.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it doesn't matter how you're treated because you don't care because you're going to make that money.
0: hmm yeah, the, as, the asymmetric nature of fame—you know—they're uh, they're worth thousands of you. Yeah, there's a pyramid,
1: and the pyramid is uh, inverted because <laughs> everything, all the money, is in the top one percent. Has happened in real life, so it's a real—I uh, mean, it's a real picture of what life is like and what it's never changed from this moment. And for me, it's so interesting as we look at the world now today and the fear of uh, the end of global capitalism, um, which he could not see in this moment. It just seemed like an endless pursuit. And the change in nature of capitalism means it does seem like an endless pursuit, but we always need somewhere else to make money. And if Mm. we're always looking for that somewhere else and money is our God, we lose our souls.
0: Yeah, and which which brings us to sort of like the epilogue of the film, really, where he's he's um, he's gone off. He's got older. I mean, that's that's one of the things where. Whereas the other episodes, you could sort of swap around a little bit. Um, you know, there are certain things that happen. Steiner dies, uh, uh, commits a uh, huge tragedy, commits suicide, kills his children in the process. Which, by the way, is is such a typical Italian tragedy. It's even today the news is always he killed his wife and children and then took his own life. It's never the other way around. He never starts with himself. You know, he's always. Um, and you, well, it's like again, it's a comment on masculinity. It's yeah. like,
1: I'm not willing to take personal responsibility. The responsibility for my failure is this need to be with the family. And this family unit is driving me crazy. So I'm going to take you all down and burn the bridge. Mm-hmm. And it stems from his complete inability to almost be human like and we see that when he's talking about the novel at the beginning he's mm. kind of goading marcello mm, mm. he's not yeah. he's not being a friend he's not being like i'm gonna help create this situation where you might be able to write a novel it's always teaching and like it's like you can't do this and then i've got this glamorous life i'm respected but it's all a farce, mm. basically. And this is the absolute like tragedy of Italy and the tragedy of modern life, is the religious life is a farce and the capitalist life
0: is a farce. <laughs> but it's, it, I mean, the thing that the both they both have in common is we're we're outsourcing our own uh, concept of what what we want what we need. You know, it's. It, it, instead of just trying to work out who we are and what we need and what we want from the world, we're, we're going to religion to say, you know, tell me what to do, tell me what the meaning is, tell me what I have to achieve. Or we go to capitalism and say, tell me what what you define as good. Um, and And those are not reliable sources of values because religion has its own reasons and capitalism has its own logic, which has nothing to do with your welfare.
1: Yeah, and that is the tragedy of uh, humanity is actually humans struggle, which is why it's important that we see Christ at the beginning. Because mm. humans struggle, and this has been an eternal tale, and this is also what 2001 is about, is humans struggle to understand why we're on Earth. Mm. Mm. And mm. religion was the closest thing to give us reason. A kind of almost logical reason is we importance important as as a challenge, we live through these challenges, because afterwards, we're going to end up in a better place if you've taken the right lessons. That's the closest we've ever got to Mm -hmm. having any logical explanation of why the alternative is the capitalist version is, we're just a hair, we have a finite amount of time, uh, enjoy yourself, make as much money, because afterwards, you got nothing. So you might as well get everything you can now. And Everyone else.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, like, and Macello does that. And when we see Macello as an old man, the tragedy and the nausea that comes with watching him, you know, at another party, trying to, you know, make people humiliating a woman, trying to make them all have an orgy and all the rest of it, is the idea that this is a, the endless repetition. He's This is just Wednesday for him. This is just Friday for him. This is just something he's done every week for the last 20, 30 years since we last saw him. He's become his dad. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely.
1: And that's what's really sad, is he's there, and the only thing he does is, oh, there's a young girl. Oh, do I recognize her? Is this, let me go and talk to her, because this is the only validation I'm getting. Uh, I've become a sea monster, which is the image at the end. Mm. I'm, I'm like beached. I've got no meaning anymore. I've got nothing left for me. I have become everything I didn't want to be. We don't know for sure if he's written that novel or not.
0: Mm. Mm. Uh,
1: It's possible because he's dressed nice and he's kind of living... But probably not, let's face it. He's probably the editor of the magazine. Yeah, he's just sitting there and he's still doing the same stuff. He's not learned any lesson in life.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah.
1: It's the biggest... It's a tragedy of tragedies. Obviously... The first time I saw it was like, "Hey, he was still cool trying to pick
0: up." Yeah, yeah, yeah. that shrug that he does at the end and the way he walks away—oh, it's wonderful. You know, it's lovely. And you know, I'm using the photograph as as the uh, as the picture on the podcast. You know, his his sort of gesture of uh, of defeat, but it, it isn't a terribly sad picture if you think about it.
1: That is a sad picture. My first ever like business card I ever made for myself was the scene in the car when they drive in, open top, and like everyone, it's very, it's like one of the most glamorous pictures I've ever seen from a movie. And it just said everything. Now that's, it's interesting, that's all I saw. I mean, I can see why, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that thing. But let's talk about the ending, because the ending, I think, is like, it's a conundrum. No one knows what the ending means. Right. Everyone has their own version of the ending because he's like met someone who really doesn't give him much time of day, but it's polite. <laughs> then he goes to the beach and he's looking out to the sea. There's this like a whole thing happening with this beach. Uh, I think it's a well. Anyway, this beach is massive. And then. Uh, Mysterious
0: called a sea creature. Yes. Yeah, Exactly.
1: There's a young girl who's clearly, for me now, I see also the future of Italy. I think mm. Bellini's saying, Yeah, uh, this is the future, and he's looking at the future and he's also looking at the past as he's looking over there. He's looking at both things at once, mm. which is a kind of uh, a miracle of the circular of the n- nature of how the film put together. Is he's there and you see his past and his future all in that moment and we're left to wonder what he's thinking mm, mm. and like, you could think oh I kind of had a beautiful life here I am it's kind of the end of my life do I have regrets you could take it that he doesn't have regrets or mm. because of the magnificence of his performance you could take it that I've wasted everything I lost everything I lost all of these beautiful people and there's another way of reading the whole film, which is it all takes place in that moment. And everything that's happened before is memories. Mm. And that's mm. why we just see that episodic structure. And there we're like left with a man with his memories and nothing
0: else. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you say, that performance by Masriani, Masriani sort of goes on. I mean, this is not his first film. He's done a few films beforehand, but he goes on to become like an international superstar on the back of this.
1: For me, it's like the best performance of anyone in any film.
0: Mm,
1: mm, mm. For me, because I feel like it's so every action can mean two or three different things. And like, as I got older, the more I realize is it's harder to know the truth, even when someone's telling you the truth, because you still take your own interpretation away. Um, and so as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking you've left this performance open enough that I'm not sure what to think of you. Definitive enough that I think of you all the time in certain ways. And that changes depending on who I am. And with this kind of like, I am Italy style of it is I am everything that is good and bad about Italy.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an icon. I've become an icon in the process of this film, which people will aspire to. And women will say, you know, oh, this is my version of, you know, the sexy Italian man. And there's a brilliant Dick Cavett where he goes on with, I think it's with Sophia Loren. And, uh, and his English isn't great, but he's talking about how sexually attractive he is to to women. And he's like, oh, I'm not at all. I've got really scrawny little legs and no woman would look at me twice before I was in films. And it's just so he's so sort of, uh, you know, and, and, and you, there's a bit of you that immediately thinks what an amazing pickup line he's, he's developed. And it's because you just want to mother it straight away. And, uh, and it works. It works perfectly in his favor. Oh, that says
1: a lot about you that you think he's trying to be mothered rather than just being
0: humble. Hell, <laughs> well, I know, I know how it works. I know see how it works. Here. See how this happens. That's yeah. how you think it works. Uh, yeah, In that's how it definitely, it definitely works. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to come back and uh, maybe we can use this as a sort of way of wrapping up as well. The idea of um, you know the definitive because I think Fellini in some ways is a definitive Italian filmmaker, not just of the sixties and not just of like his, his, his epoch. I mean, he's working right up through the eighties. Um, but, but I mean, he's, he's a, he's as dominant as say Tarkovsky is with Russian film, but everybody who makes a film in Italy post Fellini has to deal with Fellini in one way or another. I think there's very few people who, who are are untouched, and then you have someone like, say, Sorrentino, who you know, with uh, the Great Beauty, La Grande Bellezza, um, basically remakes La Dolce Vita. It just just remakes it, but shifts it along in time period uh, and what have you. Um, is this is Fellini's influence? Yeah, well, well, I'll just say a more open question: What what is Fellini's influence on film?
1: Okay, I would first off say we're going on about how great the Dolce Vita is. Mm-hmm. If you ask most people, they will tell you Fellini's best film is 8.5 in right. cinema. Because, right. you know, Fellini's 8.5 is the ultimate thing about making film and what it means to be a director and what it means to work in cinema, which is going to tap into a lot of people who work in film spirit. It also is so self-aware... It's meta before the term meta was invented. It is like, I am different versions of myself. And that's important because it's the same as La Dolce Vida is. Fellini is many different things. He's not one thing. Right. And his films are different. If we look at his first film, uh, or the first film I saw, I don't want to say it's his first film in case I'm wrong, but, uh, Il Vitelloni, mm. uh, it's like the perfect coming-of-age story. There's no, like, Italian... And I always say this, Italians are the best at doing coming-of-age stories. There's right. no one who captures the angst of teenagers like Italian cinema. I Even the terrible Italian films about it, I could watch all day because they get that flavour. And this really starts it. Then we're talking about, like, his infatuation with... Uh, theatre, uh, his infatuation with uh, life, then we're also, you know, when we move on to like Julieta de la Spirita, uh, how it all uh, changes again, he adapts and he's always looking at his time and he's moving with the time. He's like, they're sitting, looking at what is happening around him and he brings it to screen. So there's a great vast body of work for people to take different things off. But the nature of what we would say is the classic term if we say Fellini-esque is this kind of grandiose, free-spiriting, and adaptable storyline, adaptable that looks at the world of glamour with a cautious eye.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, and a sort of circus element to to, to creativity and to... Uh, and to life, a sort of celebration of the of the wilder elements.
1: It's the exemplar of what it means uh, to be an artist and try and create art in a society that's material.
0: Mm, mm, yeah, yeah.
1: And and do you think, um, I mean, I, I always... Well, go- I, I, now I'm going to say, personally, I don't think any of that is the reason why Fellini's great. <laughs> that's the I think he's great because he tells stories... That we connect to his characters they're all character driven and they're all characters who are uncertain who are so human who have foibles there's not one in any of his films there's not one person who goes through the whole of the movie and has a great time
0: Mm. Mm. yeah yeah and there's always there's always that sense of yeah i i I think you're right i think if you take out the fellini of fellini films if you take out the fellini-esque you still have the films there's 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 very little uh i mean i don't know maybe something like amacord or clowns you you might watch and say oh there's a lot of fellini esque elements in them but i would argue uh, as you say there's there's stuff which is has nothing really to do with what we would normally think of as being fellini esque uh and and that they stand on on their own two feet as individual films
1: yeah i really believe that and it's hard because yes he is so great at capturing glamour.
0: Mm, if it wasn't mm.
1: for Fellini, I don't think Made in Italy would have How ironic is <laughs> that, since he criticised it. But me, everything he did is about how stylish Italian, is, it, Italian people are. Mm. And in everything they do, it doesn't matter if they're um, conflicted people, there's still a style and there's still an outward element of it's not quite circus, because circus is kind of like almost like clownish in a way. It's more mm-hmm. it's like spectacle, I would say. Mm, yeah. It really captures the spectacle in a way that no one else has ever managed.
0: By the way, that's what La Dolce Vita does. It's it's about the depth of superficiality and the superficiality of depth. You know, Steiner is supposed to be very deep, but actually that deepness is him playing nature sounds on a record, you know, and Marcello is supposed to be really superficial, but he's soulful. And he does have, you know, he does have, um, he is, I, I mean, that's where I would disagree with you, I think. I think he does take on a lot that he's witnessing, even though he doesn't necessarily have, much way of doing anything with that.
1: I don't think you disagree with me because earlier I did say he tries to be everything to everyone. Right. And that's the version of that. He, but in being everything to everyone, he doesn't actually look at himself as what does he want. Mm. He takes on a lot, but he doesn't give himself as himself. He doesn't live his true life. And so, yes, he is soulful if you take I can have empathy with someone as being the meaning of soulful, but he doesn't have the soul. Well, he has a soul because he's terribly sad, but he doesn't have the capability of actually saying, you know what, I don't care about glamour. I don't care about religion. I don't care about all of these things I look about, or I do care about all of them. But now having witnessed all that, my philosophy of life is this. I'm going to live my life this way. And i'm gonna tell people that's how i'm living my life whether they like it or not mm. his problem is he doesn't know
0: how to offend people right <laughs> brilliant well listen final question kalim um what's a a recent film italian film that you've seen and you'd like to recommend to people
1: oh god there's so many i love italian cinema uh i'm gonna veer away from sorrentino because we've mentioned him already okay uh, and he's made a few of my favorites um i think uh there's also good cinema of like garoni that i have really liked that has really captured hard for me like off the top of my head to think of a favorite i did like the way he like reinvented the mafia story etc um ah and i'm gonna mispronounce his name um campioni campioni you know half american but the guy he makes films that are really about modern italy in the south that is about the experience of
0: um refugees Mm. In like Calabria. uh Oh, this it, is a guy who made um, I, I, Chambra, I Chambra. I Chambra, exactly. Yeah.
1: Which is a very good film. But I'm going to have, having said all of that, I'm going to probably go for a Gianfranco Rossi film. Mm. Because he really makes documentaries as if they're fiction.
0: Right. Right, yeah, very, very beautiful to look at as well, very artistic. And then there's a choice, right? There's the film that won Venice, and then there's sacre
1: Gra that was that one, and the yeah. film that won Berlin, what was that one called? Poco e Mare.
0: Poco e Mare.
1: I think that's the one I would recommend.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is all about Lampedusa and the exactly. and migrants arise.
1: Like migrants, and that's something I feel is a story that we see in the news every day, but it's not really been explored. And he really captures what it means to see this and get also a little bit the information, but trying to get your own information and looking out. And what does this mean for Italy in a kind of way that is very reflective and very sympathetic
0: to um, these poor people that have to come across on books. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much, Kaleem. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Grazie mille.